listening to From the Friars podcast, the community of Franciscan Friars of the Renewal, headquartered in the Bronx, New York City. A reading from the first letter of St. Peter. Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who in his great mercy gave us a new birth to a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by the power of God are safeguarded through faith, to a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the final time. In this you rejoice, although now for a little while you may have to suffer through various trials, so that the genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that is perishable even though tested by fire, may prove to be for praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Although you have not seen him, yet you love him. Even though you do not see him now, yet believe in him. You rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy as you attain the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The word of the Lord. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the doors were locked, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit, whose sins you forgive are forgiven them, and whose sins you retain are retained. Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples said to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger into the nail marks and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now a week later, his disciples were again inside and Thomas was with them. Jesus came, although the doors were locked, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and bring your hand and put it into my side, and do not be unbelieving, but believe. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you come to believe because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book, but these are written that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that through this belief you may have life in his name. The Gospel of the Lord. Okay, my friends, so good to see you. 
What a wonderful day, the Divine Mercy Sunday. It's the eighth day of the octave of Easter. What happened at Easter? The resurrection of Jesus from the dead. It was so great. It's not able to be captured in one 24-hour day. So for eight days, the church has been saying, this day, this day, the Lord has, in eight days, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. We have all week been hearing stories of people seeing the empty tomb and encountering Jesus risen from the dead, glorified. The same Jesus who was on the cross, the same Jesus who died and was buried, but yet now raised from the dead and glorified. And um, today's story really takes the cake. And it's so interesting. They're there together, we're told, on the first day of the week. And it, it seems like many of these stories of encountering the risen Jesus are happening on the first day of the week. They're in there with the doors locked because they're afraid. You get the impression this might have been happening when they were having mass, the early mass. They were gathered together. And just as at every mass, Jesus doesn't come into the room through the door, right? When the priest says the words over the bread and the wine, this is my body, this is my blood, the Holy Spirit changes the bread and the wine into Jesus, literally, not a symbol, not a figure. Jesus' true presence. We get the feeling of something of that happening here. Now, here's a detail. Thomas was not there. Jesus breathed on them like God breathed on Adam in the, in the creation. He gives them the Holy Spirit, and he tells them, whose sins you forgive are forgiven. That's where we got the sacrament of confession, the sacrament of reconciliation, that Jesus' forgiveness could be ministered to us through a priest. It's really something, and it all comes from Jesus himself. But Thomas is not there. Why? I was praying over that this morning. I was asking why. Why was Thomas not there? Something's happening in him. He's struggling. Because after Jesus leaves, Thomas eventually comes, and his friends, the apostles, they tell him, Jesus is alive, he's risen, we've seen him. And Thomas had no reason to doubt the truthfulness of what they were saying, fellow apostles, but there's something going on he's not able to believe. And he makes that comment, I will not believe unless I see Jesus and touch Jesus myself. I want to put my finger into his wounds. Only then will I believe. And so this reveals that he is struggling. He's having doubts. He's struggling. Here's what's interesting. A week later, again, it feels like they might be together at Mass on Sunday. Thomas now is there. Jesus comes again. He greets them. Peace be with you. And then he says to Thomas, Go ahead, put your fingers in my wounds. It's me. Stop being unbelieving, but believe. How does Jesus know that Thomas had said that a week earlier? It's because Jesus was there all along, even though he was invisible. He was there when Thomas said those words. Remember when the two were going to Emmaus and Jesus walked with them and they recognized him at the breaking of the bread? And then he vanishes from their sight. Because he's God, he's everywhere. And so in praying over that, I was asking the question, why didn't Jesus just come and reveal himself immediately 
The moment Thomas said those words, I won't believe unless I probe the wounds. Here's what happened. Jesus allowed him to sit with the struggle. For an entire week, Thomas sat with the struggle. And it reminds me of something in the second reading from 1 Peter. He tells us that trials and difficulties are good for us. Because as gold is purified in fire, so our faith can be purified and strengthened through struggle and trials. And that's why if we pray into the struggle, it can be good for us. That's what's happening with Thomas. So there's a week later, Jesus comes, Thomas, he makes that act of faith, my Lord and my God. And I feel so bad for Thomas because his name has become a euphemism. We meet somebody who's kind of skeptical and doubting. We say, oh, you doubting Thomas, right? It's almost like an insult a little bit, right, Thomas? Okay. <laughs> oh, you doubting Thomas. But let's remember, his real name is not doubting Thomas. His real name is St. Thomas. Because after this, he would go to India to preach the gospel. Anybody from India here? Okay. They often call themselves St. Thomas Christians, right? And he was martyred there. He was tortured and killed for his faith in Jesus. And it was almost as if Thomas needed to go through this struggle to prepare him for that mission. St. Thomas would be able to go to travel so far away to a completely different land, a completely different culture to bring the gospel of Jesus and then to be martyred because his, his faith was strengthened through the struggle. And this is the lesson that Thomas needed to learn. This is the lesson that we need to learn. And that is to trust in ourselves less so that we can trust in God more. That's the whole theme of the Divine Mercy Devotion. We've got that beautiful painting next to me. St. Saint Faustina, the Divine Mercy Saint, had seen Jesus in this vision. He commanded her, have an image of this painted with the red and the white rays coming out of his heart, symbolic of the Eucharist and baptism his mercy, his forgiveness, and he tells her on the bottom of the picture have the words written, Jesus, I trust in you. Jesus, I trust in you. That's what Thomas was being taught. Trust in yourself less, what you see, what you can touch, the limitations of your own understanding, to trust in God, to trust in Jesus. And when we trust in Jesus, amazing things can happen. The things that we go through, the trials, the difficulties, the struggles, the particular details of our own walk, we're not meant to walk this alone. God wants to walk with us, like those two on the road to Emmaus. Jesus wants to walk with us. So we're not going through this life. This life feels a little scary right now, doesn't it? People get the feeling like, man, it kind of feels like things are falling apart, you know, politically and globally and whatever else in the church. And it's probably true, okay? It probably is falling apart. I have a hunch it is, but it's okay because God is still God and he loves us and he's with us and he walks with us. We don't walk alone. Our trials, our difficulties, our struggles are not an obstacle. Rather, God's grace can work through that if only we have enough faith to believe, to pray and to believe. And so, my friends, we thank God for that. Praise God, huh? Jesus is here. He's with us in just a moment. He'll come again to the Eucharist. 
You have an opportunity to come forward in reverence, to receive him, to be nourished by him, the bread of life, the cup of everlasting salvation. And that he wants to be not just with us, but within us by his grace. It's beautiful. Um, right after Mass, we'll have an opportunity for blessings. In, and then 15, 20 minutes when Mass is over, we're going to have a holy hour for those who'd like to stay downstairs in the chapel down there, Eucharistic Holy Hour. And I want to share a story with you when I had my St. Thomas moment. Um, I've had a few. One of them was really big and dramatic. I want to share that with you during Holy Hour. And uh, we'll have the special Divine Mercy prayers and um, benediction and the three o'clock hour for Divine Mercy. And, um, but at the end of this Mass, I have a relic of St. Faustina. I'll bless you with that relic to receive graces through her intercession. So, um, so glad to have you here. God bless you. Please stand. A reading from the book of Acts of the Apostles. Observing the boldness of Peter and John and perceiving them to be uneducated, ordinary men, the leaders, elders, and scribes were amazed and they recognized them as companions of Jesus. Then when they saw the man who had been cured standing there and with them, they could say nothing in reply. So they ordered them to leave the Sanhedrin and conferred with one another, saying, What are we to do with these men? Everyone living in Jerusalem knows what a remarkable sign was done through them, and we cannot deny it. But so that it may not be spread any further among the people, let us give them a stern warning never again to speak to anyone in this name. So they called them back and ordered them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Peter and John, however, said to them in reply, Whether it is right in the sight of God for us to obey you rather than God, you be the judges. It is impossible for us not to speak about what we have seen and heard. After threatening them further, they released them, finding no way to punish them, on account of the people who were all praising God for what had happened. The word of the Lord. Thanks. Kindly be seated. It is impossible for us not to speak about what we have seen and heard. I love that line. Testimony. That's what, it, that's what we mean by testimony. What we have seen and what we have heard. And that is exactly what we have, um, my friends, the Easter season, the death and resurrection of Jesus. How we know about that whole thing is because the people who were there, people who saw it, people who heard about it, they were there. They were the ones who told the world. The whole thing is so impossible. (laughs) It's so impossible. If you've ever been to the Holy Land, this place was the edge of the empire. It was it was you know, the backwaters, it was, and these 12 apostles that Jesus chose, how can I say this without offending the saints? Please forgive me. They were not the A team. (laughs) Okay. You know, they they were really ordinary guys. You think of St. Peter. We know a lot about St. Peter. He was a fisherman. He was, you know, kind of a tough guy. And again and again and again, they misunderstood Jesus. They got it wrong. It, there's several embarrassing moments. 
Um, in particular, St. Peter had what we call foot and mouth disease, <laughs> you know, where he's like, put, put your foot in your mouth. Oh boy. He said these things, right? Jesus, I will never deny you. I will die with you, Jesus. You know? And then a few hours later he starts, Oh, I don't know the guy, you know, he had that fall. It's just such a heartbreak, but something happened, huh? Something happened. The coming of the Holy spirit, they changed. And all of a sudden they were different. They were preaching without fear about what they saw and what they heard. And they were even arrested. And and eventually these guys are all going to get martyred as well. How did this happen? They were hiding with the doors locked before, but something changed. It was the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was working in and through them. And the same is true even in our own day. And so I want to share with you just some stories on this Divine Mercy Sunday to share with you what I have seen and what I have heard, the way God's grace has worked in my life. Um, This whole day, this whole devotion to the Divine Mercy is so popular Throughout the whole world, you know, I have a, a priest friend who's doing secret ministry in China, and they have this image with the, let, the words in Chinese at the bottom, Jesus, I trust in you. I have no idea how to say that, <laughs> but I'm, learn, I'm trying to learn how to say, Jesus, I trust in you in every language possible, just in case Jesus doesn't speak English. <laughs> I want to make sure he understands me, you know? And St. Faustina, the Divine Mercy Saint, she was Polish, right? So in the Polish language, it's Jesu umfam tobie, Jesus, I trust in you. Um, Lord, have mercy, you know, I want him to understand me. Senor Tempiedad, Lord, have mercy. My favorite is German, Herr Abamadich. What a different language, huh? (laughs) I love that. Um, So St. Faustina, the saint who received this divine mercy devotion, she has been really special to my family for a long time. My own mom had a big devotion to her. And wouldn't you know, when St. Faustina was just Sister Faustina and the Pope beatified her, so she's not quite saint yet, she's going to be blessed Faustina. My mother went to Rome on a pilgrimage and she attended the Mass in St. Peter's Square when the Pope beatified her. And then she got a little relic, like we had a blessing with the relic of St. Faustina. And so my mom had a great love for the Divine Mercy and a great love for St. Faustina. She also had a great love for St. Therese, a little flower. So when it came her time, my mom passed away. She died on the feast of St. Therese, her patron saint. You die on the feast day of your patron saint. That's a good sign. Her wake was on St. Faustina's feast day and the divine mercy was next to her casket. And then we buried her on the feast of our lady of the rosary. (laughs) Like, I don't know. That's like triple play, you know, like grand slam home run. I don't know how she did it, but uh, my mom just, she, she cashed in as she left the building, you know, like it's just, it's so sometimes they say, Oh, who's your favorite saint or who's your patron saint. And um, I think many of us, we could say, oh, I like this saint or that saint. But in some ways, I think it might be more accurate to say that the saints choose us. Huh? The saints choose us. There may be some connection. Sometimes it's something odd. And St. Faustina, I kind of feel like she chose me. I keep running into her. And I even made a pilgrimage to where she grew up as a little girl in Poland. And I prayed at her tomb where she's buried outside of Krakow, Poland. And uh, evidently she had red hair. So she's that Polish ginger (laughs) nun, you know, and uh, I often ask for her prayers. And um, so 
I had a situation which I want to share with you. I mentioned it when I hear the story of St. Thomas that when he was doubting and I was like, I had a really big moment like that for myself. Um, my dad's name is Thomas. And so growing up, my middle name was Thomas. So St. Thomas was one of those saints, I'm sure, praying for me. And when I was a kid, my favorite letter of the alphabet was the letter Y. <laughs> As I was one of these kids, I was constantly asking my teachers and my parents, why? 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 I'm questioning everything. Why? And um, my poor parents, huh? God bless parents. It's not easy being a parent, so I'm told. Apparently. Um, and so I kind of have that thing where I just want to understand you know, I'm always like, let's, let's ask questions here. And I'm in college and I'm trying to figure out what Jesus wants me to do with my life. We call that discernment. So I was discerning my vocation. I had this crazy roommate. He's here today. <laughs> he stole my girlfriend. So I thought I'd be a friar. No, no, just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> His children are like, what? No, just kidding. But I was discerning and I was trying to figure out what does God want me to do? And in the midst of that discernment, it's kind of similar to dating. I would visit monasteries on like, we had a long weekend and it'd be like, which monastery are we going to? And I would go to these monasteries and I would hang out with the monks and the friars. And um, it was like being in a Monty Python movie. Uh, some of you may remember Monty Python. Okay. Anyways, at some point, I feel a certain amount of conviction that there's a particular group in New York City in the Bronx. Anybody from the Bronx here today? Okay. Ooh, welcome, welcome. And um, much to my surprise, I love the Bronx. And so I visited again. And the more I visited it, the more I loved it. And so I thought, I think God is calling me to join these crazy Franciscans. Throw away your razor. <laughs> You're not going to need that. Okay. And um, I was so excited. I was young, I was, I was zealous, I was looking for an adventure, and I was really excited. Did all the steps. When you wanna join a monastery, there's all these steps you have to go through. So I did all the steps, you know, met with a psychologist, which was frightening. I, he said, you're crazy enough to do it. <laughs> you know? So I was like, okay, I guess that's how it works. So I, so I had this thing where everything was set up, September, beginning of September, I was going to be in the Bronx to join these Franciscan friars. I was so excited, but I did have a problem um, because I had been at, you know, this Franciscan University of Steubenville. It's a, a Catholic college. So I had all these loans and all the, over the summer, I had uh, really the spirit of St. Francis. I had begged for help and all these different Catholic groups back home. I don't want to say the names, but four different Catholic groups said, even though you're not going to be a priest for our diocese, we're still going to help pay your loans so you can follow God's call. And that was so humbling. And I was so grateful. And I was working three jobs to make as much money as I could. And I was preparing. I was preparing to leave the world and to follow Jesus. You know that line, give all you have, sell, give to the poor and come follow me. Well, I didn't really have any money, <laughs> but if I did have it, I'd give it to the poor I was the poor at that moment, and I wanted to leave it all to follow Jesus. And something happened about halfway through the summer. Within three days, 
all four of those groups backed out on me. It was so weird. Nothing happened, but they said, you know, we changed our mind. We're going to hold on and wait till we have a seminarian from our diocese. So we can't actually help you. And, um, I was absolutely devastated. And this experience threw me into a huge tailspin, you know, and it was like the devil just started working on me and I just started having all these doubts, you know, was this whole thing an illusion? Was this just something I had made up in my own head? You know, had I misunderstood what I thought God was calling me to? It was quite unsettling. And in some ways, I kind of fell apart. I was just, I didn't know what to do. Like I had this plan. It's like the carpet got pulled out from underneath. And I was just like, what do I do? You know, and you would think with all that zeal for God, you'd be like, well, pray, you know, but I, I was just so upset and like I had all these plans and I had told people. So it was kind of embarrassing as like, yes, I'm not going to New York now. And what am I going to do? I was going to try to work somewhere. And I didn't know what was happening. It was a real crisis, a real big difficulty. And I, um, I did not handle it well. <laughs> and that revealed something about me that time, you know, yeah, it's easy to say we trust in God when everything's, you know, beautiful and everything's going according to what we want. And oh, praise God. <laughs> I love you, God. <laughs> you know, but the minute things get hard, you know, it's like, oh, it reveals something. And so for me, at least at that moment, I, I realized just how little I trusted in the Lord, just how little little trust I had in the gospel. So many times Jesus will correct the apostles and he says to them, Oh, ye of little faith. And boy, that was me. That was me. And so I'm trying to get my feet back onto some solid ground. I don't know. I'm a bit of a planner. So I'm like, what am I going to do? And maybe, you know, and so it came time for the day that I was supposed to be in New York to join the friars. It's kind of like the school year. Okay. You'll be a freshman friar. And, um, I wasn't able to go. And there I was at home and I remembered something. I remembered that St. Faustina, the divine mercy saint, she had this thing when she tried to join the nunnery and her day, they had to um, pay a dowry to join the convent and she didn't have any money. She was from a poor family. So she had to wait and work for a year before she could get into the convent. And I thought, well, if there's any saint that can understand what I'm going through right now, it must be her. So I really turned to St. Faustina and I asked for her prayers and St. Faustina wrote a book. It's called the diary, the diary of St. Faustina. It's the divine mercy in my soul. And in this book is the writings of all these visions that she had and all the things that Jesus told her in this, where we get this whole divine mercy devotion. And you'll know that father Luke is having a really bad day. If you see me carrying that diary around, <laughs> And I'm having to, some of the friars do. If you're really struggling, it's like, let me grab the diary of St. Faustina. You know, like I really need some mercy here. And so I did this. So I prayed to St. Faustina and I just closed my eyes and I kind of ruffled through the pages of the diary. Like, and I just did an open random and I just opened it randomly. And there was a passage there. I was kind of like looking for a message and in the passage, she writes that when I die, my mission will not end. Only then will it begin. 
I will spend my time in heaven pulling back the veil to convince you of God's goodness so that you stop offending him with your lack of trust. Whoa! I regretted opening that, you know, and when I read those words, I knew they were a message for me, and it felt like a bolt of lightning striking my hard heart, and I, I just realized that I lacked trust. I lacked trust, and this little situation had revealed it. It had uncovered it. I felt so, um, I felt vulnerable, and I felt um, humbled. It's not a good feeling, but it, it is good, but it doesn't feel good. And so there it is. Like the Lord is speaking to me through St. Faustina that I've offended God by my lack of trust. And in that diary, Jesus would often say to St. Faustina, like, you can trust me. Like, actually, God is the only one we can really trust is God, you know. And so right then and there, I said a prayer apologizing to the Lord, very sincere I said, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for my lack of trust. I'm sorry that, you know, the way I've handled this whole thing, I just, I'm sorry. Then I said something I should have said the whole time. I said, Jesus, help me. <laughs> help me. You know, and you, there's this whole prayer, Jesus, I trust in you. And I felt like I shouldn't be saying it because clearly I had not trusted him. So I added my own little version, Jesus, help me trust you. Jesus, forgive me for the ways I don't trust you. And that was it. So I, I just, I had that, that moment. And then I, my day, I just went along my day. Um, well, maybe two hours later, there's a phone call at my house. So this is the days before cell phones. We actually had a landline. And my dad calls me from the other room. Somebody's on the phone from New York, some priest. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, somebody, uh, I think it's that Father Groeschel guy. So Father Groeschel was the priest, one of the founders of my community. Some of you may have known him from EWTN, and he was a psychologist and an author, and he's one of those people. And so I am just in shock. Like, how in the world does he have my phone number, and why is he calling me? I just didn't know what to think. So I get on the phone, and it's Father Benedict Groeschel on the phone. And uh, some of you may have remembered a bit of a funny way of speaking. You say, hey, kid. What are you doing this year? And then I was kind of like stumbling to find my words. I was like, Father, I, I really thought God was calling me to join the community to be a friar, but I think maybe I was wrong because I have all these student loans. I just don't know what's happening right now. I'm going to try to work and try to, but I had quite a lot of loans, maybe take a few years, which at that time felt like an eternity. I'm like, I just don't know what's happening, but I'm not going to be able to join. I'm so sorry. Maybe it's not God's will. I just don't know. And he says to me, get a plane ticket. You're coming to New York. And I was like, excuse me? He was at an event. And at the event, a woman had come up to him and said, Father Groeschel, I was just in Eucharistic adoration, prayer before Jesus. And he spoke to me from the host. And he said to me, there's a young man trying to join Father Groeschel's community, pay his lo loans off. So he can join. She's, and she comes up to Father Benedict. She sees him at this event. Like, Is there some young man that's in that situation? And Father Benedict's like, give me your phone. <laughs> he, 
he called me right then and there. She was standing right there. To this day, she's anonymous. I don't know who she is, but uh, I've been praying for her and her family. And he calls me on the phone. And he says, get a plane ticket, kid. You're coming to New York. <laughs> Literally the next day, I am completely, I'm like a deer in headlights. Like, what is happening? I'm on an airplane for New York City. And I am like, I do not know what is happening. But it was so humbling. I had done everything that I could have done in my own power. I had done some wheeling and dealing. I'd been working. I'd been begging people. And I had failed. And all of my efforts weren't enough. Trusting in myself, trusting in my own gifts, trusting in my own efforts had failed. And then I, you know, I become humbled because it, this situation reveals how little I trusted in God. And then now Jesus steps in and says, it's done. It's paid off. Come follow me. Kind of like in Matthew, Jesus is walking by. He's like, come follow me. And Matthew just drops it all. Like, that's what happened. Even my family, I'll never forget at the airport, the look on their faces, my mom, my dad, um, my little brother and my great grandmother who looked like a hobbit. And, you know, we're in Indianapolis, and they're just, like, looking at me, and I kind of look over my shoulder as I head into the uh, airplane, into the airport, and it was just like, uh, uh, goodbye, and, like, when will we see you again? It's like, I'm not too sure. Like, I'm not sure what's happening right now, but I'm getting on this plane. And the Lord wanted, wanted my journey as a friar to begin in this way because it was a lesson I needed to learn, and it's a lesson that I've had to relearn again and again and again so many times. And it is what I was saying in the homily today. We really have to trust ourselves less so that we can trust God more. And that seems to be the heart of the spirituality of what Jesus is telling St. Faustina in the Divine Mercy devotion. And it's nothing new. We already knew this. It's in the Bible. It's in the preaching of Jesus. It's in what the church teaches. But this devotion is like a holy reminder and the whole spirituality flowing from the devotion, it's a reminder to trust in the Lord. Jesus, I trust in you. Uh, Jesus, help me to trust in you, because <laughs> I kind of don't sometimes. Or Jesus, forgive me for not trusting in you. And, and that is the, the message that the Lord has for us. And you would think, okay, Somebody who's a priest, somebody who's got a long beard or somebody who wears, looks holy, you know, being holy and looking holy are not the same thing. Okay. <laughs> but it's a start. All right. Um, but this is the thing that trusting in God isn't something like, okay, I did that. What's next? No, trusting in God is one of those things that it's your whole life. Your whole life, you're going to be struggling to deepen your trust your whole life, especially when you go through trials especially when there's maybe situations that are difficult. That's when we really have to lean into our faith, you know, lean into the faith. It's like um, you'll have moments like when St. Peter was told to get out of the boat and walk on the water in the middle of a storm. It's like, whoa. You know, sometimes they call that the leap of faith. And, uh, but the Lord is there. And it's a lesson that we learn again and again and again. So I'm going to conclude with one more story, and then we're going to do some prayers, okay? Some divine mercy prayers, okay? So there it was, October 5th, the feast day of St. Faustina. 
that's her feast day. And it was it, where I was living at the Friary, it was a prayer day. So once a week, we do a prayer day. And in the prayer day, we just we try to just have adoration. We try to pray. And I had to teach a class to the novices that morning. Our novitiate is in Newark, New Jersey. So I get over there early in the morning. I teach this class. And I had an idea. It is the feast day of St. Faustina. Let me go to St. Patrick's Cathedral because it's also the feast day of the dedication of the cathedral in New York. It's the same day. I'm going to go to the cathedral. I'm going to say a prayer for the diocese and for the cardinal. And I'm going to go to confession because they have confession there every day. And St. Faustina is the divine mercy. That's the day you want to go to confession. And that's what I'm going to do. So I'm so excited. I get in the car. I get into New York City. I cannot find a parking place. Now, if you don't believe in miracles, you cannot park in New York City. <laughs> I am praying. And there's a saint. I ask her intercession, St. Francis Xavier Cabrini, Mother Cabrini. She was in New York for a while. Mother Cabrini, don't be a meanie. Find a spot for my machini. <laughs> she was Italian, so she... Find a spot for my machini. And... uh I'm looking at the clock and the time for confessions is almost over. And I'm like, oh, and I'm like circling and I'm up and I find this parking spot and I heard I park it and I like run for the cathedral. Thank God I get in there and I made it. I was the last person in line for confession, you know, so last call, right? Last call. Here we go. Had a beautiful experience of God's mercy and confession and um, went over to the relic of St. Patrick and said a prayer for the diocese, said a prayer for the cardinal, the, the whole thing. And I was like, thank you, that was wonderful. And I go back to get in my car and lo and behold, my car was stolen. <laughs> it's gone. And I am like, are you kidding me? <laughs> and it's not even that nice of a car. Like, who in the world would steal a friar car? Probably some teenager from the Bronx. I don't know. <laughs> and so and I'm like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And I was like, well, let me breathe. Okay, take a breath. I said a prayer. I said, okay, just in case I misremembered where I parked, let me, like, walk around for a minute. And then um, I kind of got into this thing because it was St. Faustina's feast day. I start praying the divine mercy quietly as I'm walking this block, that block. I did 20 blocks. Car is gone. But this whole time I had such peace and I was doing the divine mercy and everybody I passed on the sidewalk mentally, I was blessing them. Nobody had an idea, but that's what I was doing. I was in prayer. I was at peace and I was just begging for the mercy of God. It's like radiating on everybody. And so I start coming back to the cathedral and I'm like, man, this is going to be one of those days, you know? And so I'm trying to look and then I see the police precinct. So I'm like, okay, let me go in. So I go in to talk to the police and they're like dumbfounded. They're like, somebody stole you the church's car. And they have these computers that track stuff. And they're like, yeah, it's not in the system. Maybe it got towed. That makes more sense. And so I'm like, can you call the tow pound? And they're like, well, um, it takes seven hours after they tow your car for your car to be in the system. So you have to walk over there. I'm like, well, where is it? It's really far away from St. Patrick's Cathedral. So I walked. And as I'm walking, I'm doing the divine mercy and I'm just praying for everybody. 
and I had such peace. And I get over to where I think the toe pound is, but I had the wrong building. It was the Jacob Javits Center. And that day was this thing called Comic-Con. So there's all these people dressed up like superheroes. <laughs> and I walk in there looking for the toe pound and these people start yelling Gandalf lines at me. <laughs> you shall not pass, you know, like, and I'm like, what? And then I'm like, oh, I, I, this isn't a Gandalf costume. I look like this every day, okay. And then there was a guy in a Batman outfit that knelt down and asked for my blessing. It was, I don't know, there's probably photos or videos of this somewhere. I don't know what happened, but it was so embarrassing that I would be there on that day. And um, I'm like, does anybody know where the toe pound is? You know, like my, my horse Shadowfax has been towed. So it's a block over. So I get over to the toe pound and it's not a happy place. People in the toe pound are not happy. <laughs> and I felt so bad for the people that work there. And so when I finally got through the line, I was just like, God bless you. Thank you so much for working here. You know, and I immediately connected with the people that work there. And they're like, Father, we don't have any record of your car, but maybe it's just come in, come with us. So this guy puts me on a golf cart and they have this like warehouse filled with cars some of them are really like Lamborghinis. And we're, we're cruising around this um, warehouse and I have my key clicker and I'm hoping it'll beep. You know, I'm just like beep, beep, you know, and I'm looking frantically looking up and down these rows and all these cars. I'm kind of thinking like, could I just have one of those cars? You know, like, especially like having a Lamborghini has been a childhood dream. Probably only in heaven, okay, probably. But um, so the car is not there. And so the, the guy at the toe pound's like, they really did steal your car. And I'm like, well, okay, praise God, whatever. Maybe they need the car more than me. Um, it's probably empty, so they're not going to get it far. There wasn't much gas. And um, so I'm like, can I just report that it was stolen and go home? And he's like, oh, no, you have to go back over to the police precinct to report it stolen. So I had to walk all the way back. This is like hours and hours and hours. My feet are so sore. But again, I was totally at peace. And I kept, I don't know how many rosaries and divine mercy chaplets I did that day, but I kept praying the divine mercy, blessing everybody I passed on the sidewalk. I finally get back to the police precinct and the police are like, you again, you know? And they're like, we can't believe this happened. So they, they have, you know, they put me in the back of a car, like a police car and people see me like <laughs> being put in the back of the police car. And I was trying to like, this isn't what it looks like, you know? And he's like, let's go for a drive. So we go over to where I parked. And wouldn't you know, there's uh, hotels there. And the hotels in New York City have a separate tow pound and their own tow service. I had no idea. So we had to go in. We speak to the manager. He had to call the guy who was on duty earlier in the day because he's off work now. It was a whole thing. And um, there were three hotels. So we had to go to three, all three hotels. Nobody has the car. So, okay, it has been stolen. This is horrible. Let's go back to the precinct and we can do the papers. So we drive back to the precinct, but the, in that part of Manhattan, it's all one-way streets. So we had to go around the block to get back to the precinct. We go around the block, there's my car. <laughs> the police officer says, hey, Fada, somebody stole your car and moved it over there. 
I forgot where I parked. Yeah. It had been parked there the whole time. Nobody stole my car. It was the rattiest looking car on the block and it was right where I left it. But remember, I was nervous about being late for confession so I wasn't paying attention and I found this parking spot and it was still there. And the cops were laughing so much. Like, and I just felt like the world's biggest idiot and that's appropriate because that day I was. I was so embarrassed, you know, so embarrassed. And this whole thing, this whole day had been this whole thing. And then at the end of the day, it's, I'm, I'm like, how in the world? Like, I'm not that guy. And, but maybe I am, maybe I am that guy. And, um, I got in the car, started up and I just took off, like get, get out of here, you know? And I realized you know, that this entire day, there had been this trial, there'd been this struggle, there'd been this crisis, and that I had the grace to pray, and I had kept my peace, and I had prayed the whole day. I had a day of prayer that day. It was the most unusual day of prayer I've ever had. <laughs> but at the end of the day, the end of the day, divine mercy was waiting for me to carry me home. And I was just like weeping as I drove home to the friary. So I had been so convinced the car had been stolen and I was like walking back to Yonkers somehow, or maybe I'd like beg for a subway token. I don't know. And, but the Lord's mercy, the Lord was saying to me, I was waiting for you all along. He was waiting to take me home, his mercy. And it's kind of like speaks to me about life. My, you know, my friends, we, we go through this life we have our ups and downs, we have our struggles, we have our trials, we have our humiliating moments. And yet what's waiting for us, what's waiting for us is Jesus to carry us home in a 15-year-old Toyota. <laughs> Maybe it's a Fiat, right? Okay. That's what our lady drove, her Fiat. Okay. So I share that with you. So again, just, just to bring home this great day, this great day of divine mercy, this great day when we have a chance for this devotion to refocus on something that we already knew, and that is that God loves us and that he's, he's with us. He wants to help us. The things that we struggle with, the trials, the difficulties, the humiliations, we have just enough faith to trust in Jesus, to turn to him, to trust in him. So I have this litany of trust. This friend of mine wrote this litany. She's a sister of life, and there's a great story behind her writing this litany. And so often, St. Faustina would see the red and the white rays coming not from the picture, but from the host during adoration, because Jesus is really here. And she would see these rays going out to the whole world. And so we pray these divine mercy prayers, trusting in Jesus. So the, the reply to this novena is, deliver me, Jesus. Deliver me, Jesus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, from the belief that I have to earn your love, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear that I am unlovable, deliver me, Jesus. From the false security that I have what it takes, 
Deliver me from the fear that trusting you will leave me more destitute. Deliver me from all suspicion of your words and promises. Deliver me, Jesus. From the rebellion against childlike dependency on you. Deliver me, Jesus. From refusals and reluctances in accepting your holy will. Deliver me. From anxiety about the future. Deliver me, Jesus. From resentment or excessive preoccupation with the past. Deliver me, Jesus. From restless self-seeking in the present moment. Deliver me, Jesus. From disbelief in your love and presence. From the fear of being asked to give more than I have. From the belief that my life has no meaning or worth. From the fear of what love demands. From discouragement. That you are continually holding me, sustaining me, and loving me. Jesus, I trust in you. Jesus, I trust in you. That your love goes deeper than my sins and failings and and transforms me. Jesus, I trust in you. That not knowing what tomorrow brings is an invitation to lean on you. Jesus, I trust in you. That you are with me in my suffering. Jesus, I trust that my sufferings united to your own will bear fruit in this life and the next. Jesus, that you will not leave me an orphan, that you are present in your church. Jesus, that your plan is better than anything else. Jesus, I trust that you always hear me and in your goodness you always respond to me. Jesus, I trust that you give me the grace to accept forgiveness and to forgive others. Jesus, I trust. That you give me all the strength I need for what is asked. Jesus, I trust. That my life is a gift. Jesus, I trust. That you will teach me to trust you. Jesus, I trust. That you are my Lord and my God. Jesus, I trust in you. That I am your beloved one. Jesus, I trust in you. Isn't that beautiful? Litany of trust. So now we're going to pray the chaplet of divine mercy. Sometimes I'll give this prayer as a penance when people go to confession. For two reasons. First of all, because the promises of grace that Jesus gave to St. Faustina, the promises of the graces that he would give through this devotion are amazing. So you have a big struggle. This chaplet of divine mercy is beautiful. The second reason why is because he told St. Faustina, if there's any priest who promotes this devotion, I'll be merciful to him. (laughs) Okay. So you say the prayer on a normal rosary bead. been listening to from the friars podcast the community of franciscan friars the renewal please visit us at franciscanfriars.com or on social media cfr underscore franciscans